What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 285 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Facebook and Twitter slash X. I want to apologize to our uh, listeners last week that were looking for a guest Friday. Unfortunately, me and our guest ran into some scheduling issues, uh, but hopefully we'll get it. Hopefully we'll get it up this week. Um, so just apologize for any inconvenience. Hopefully we can get that straightened out and get some baseball talk to you guys later this week. So will be a little bit of baseball talk as uh, kind of free agency is getting closer, or I guess technically has started. You don't really see a lot of uh, deals being made for another couple of weeks. So uh, we will take a look at some uh, Red Sox free agents. We'll obviously talk uh, more baseball with our guest later this week um, as we uh, finally get uh, Eric Bellier back on the program. So uh, we will do some baseball. We are going to start uh, with the Patriots, unfortunately. I know, you know, last week I said that I try not to, you know, focus on the negatives, but I think. Uh, I do have a lot of thoughts about the game uh, yesterday morning in Germany, so I figured that we kind of start there, um, and I kind of just give some of my thoughts. So, um, you know, obviously, I think that you watch a game like that yesterday, and, you know, obviously, yes, low scoring, and, you know, this is a team that has had their deficiencies offensively and I think that you know anytime you have these close games you know it's what team makes the critical errors what team makes the critical mistakes and it seems like this season you know maybe recently that the Patriots are now the team that makes these critical errors instead of being the team that is the beneficiary of critical errors or you know having the team that doesn't make the mistakes, you know, and I think now we're seeing where the team, the Patriots are the team that make the mistakes and, you know, are making these mistakes in close games and costing them wins. You know, how many times this season has this team, you know, thrown away a game that I think is perfectly winnable. I think you can point to four games and unfortunately three of them have been all in a row. They have been the last three games. You know, you count those three games. You count the, the Eagles games. You know, I think if you look at those games, all four of those games, the Patriots lost because there were critical errors that were made with a chance to win the game. Now, you look at their record, 2-8. and eight. Patriots win two of those games. They're 4-6. and six. And I think you could argue would be in the thick of the AFC playoff chase. Does that mean they make the playoffs? Not necessarily. But it means that the season isn't, you know, a wash at this point, which I think it is now. And I think too often this team has made these critical errors late in games. And I think that it's a lot about execution. And I think it's unfortunate that the errors kind of keep happening. You know, and it's just, you had a chance to win that game yesterday. And, you know, even if the win was 
bad for your you know draft position or whatever it still would have been a nice win for the team to go somewhere go to a different country have fun and be able to get a win under their belt for nothing more than just to make themselves feel good and i think that the opposite happened you want to go to somewhere go somewhere else have a chance to win a game and you know they throw it away and i think the worst case scenario happened that the guy that you know you've been thinking is your quarterback and the guy that is going to lead this team into the future you know gets replaced and gets replaced at kind of a kind of a curious time but i think at a certain point there needs to be consequences for these continued mistakes that all look exactly the same. Talking about these interceptions that, you know, Mac is throwing, these throws that should be completed, you know, the throws that he is not stepping into, the throws that he is, you know, throwing flat-footed, throwing off his back foot, you know, throwing while he's fading away, and it's just these mistakes cannot continue to happen. You know, I just think at a certain point, he does need to be benched. And I think that it was the right decision to do that yesterday. Now, the timing of it was strange because I think you bring in a cold Bailey Zappi to try and win the game. But I think as I kind of thought about it more after the game, it could have been kind of a precursor to what's happening next with this football team that maybe this team thought that okay you know mac needs to sit let's see what zappy can do in this situation now is it the best situation to put him in no you know is it the best situation like the best situation in terms of trying to let him win the game you know probably not you know, I think if they were really trying to win that game yesterday, maybe Mac gets replaced sooner. But at the same time, I actually don't think Mac played terrible yesterday up until the interception. So it was like it would have looked even stranger to replace him in a game where he actually hadn't made any mistakes yet. Um, so I do think that the benching of Mac and bringing in Zappi is a precursor to what's going to be happening next with this team and I think it's Zappi is going to get some starts going forward and I think giving him some game action right before the bye leads me to believe that he will be the quarterback coming out of the bye and the Patriots can see what he can do with Bill O'Brien's system and you know just kind of see what his development looks like because I think this offense now is different than the offense he ran last season. You know, I think that you can try to see what he can do with maybe some of the other younger receivers. And I think this is a point now where I think the Patriots are a team that may not concern themselves with winning being the absolute, you know, primary reason that they go out to play. You know, and you could see these last eight games. What is it? No, seven games. 
that you see these last seven games as kind of a quasi-preseason. That, you know, when I think of preseason football, I think of watching individual guys and seeing how they do, and winning the game is not the primary focus. And so I think that there's something to be said for that, that maybe going forward, that's what that's what this team is going to do. And approach these games in kind of a preseason mentality. Now, this doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, sit all their good players and just play the young guys. That's not what this means. This doesn't mean not going out to compete for 60 minutes. This doesn't mean that you lose on purpose. I think this just means that you use these last seven games as kind of a development window to see, okay, what do some of these guys have? Are these guys players that we feel we can keep, you know, for the future? And whatever happens, happens. If you win a couple games, so be it. You know, if you go one and six, so be it. You know, I think that it's kind of an opportunity, again, to develop some of these younger guys, see what they can do, and, you know, not have a thought that, okay, we're going out to win every single week. Now, I think you can go out and compete every single week, but I think it just means that winning is not the primary goal, you know, which which stinks to say because I think that me personally, I'm always a person that wants to, you know, see a team go out and play their hardest and win. But I think, you know, winning may not be the primary goal here with the team being 2-8 and eight going into these last seven games. You know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if there are any major changes that come out of the bye week. I kind of don't think there will be, you know, in terms of the coaching staff. I think that... Um, for me personally, I think any suggestion of firing the head coach is silly because, like I said last week, I don't think it solves anything. I think it kind of, in a way, just appeases the media and certain fans. You know, I don't really think it solves anything in terms of, you know, trying to accomplish anything like next, like this season or whatever. Like, I don't really think it makes sense. I don't really think it solves anything. You know, I think it's just, again, something that I think other franchises do. I don't think this franchise should be doing that. And I think Bill Belichick has earned the benefit of the doubt to decide when it is that he wants to leave this team, retire or whatever. You know, whenever his contract is over, whenever, you know, he decides that he is not the Maybe he's not the person to lead this team going forward. And I think that's the scenario that I'm okay with him not being the head coach. I think my concern for the rest of the season is Robert Kraft and, you know, ownership making a ill-advised, short-sighted decision and firing Bill Belichick. I just think that it's just not the right thing to do. I think that, again, Bill Belichick's earned the benefit of the doubt, I think, for 20 plus years. 
you know, kept this team competitive, kept this team having a chance to be a playoff team, having a chance to be decent. And I think that includes the last couple of years post-Brady, excludes this year, obviously. But I think that it doesn't send the best message if Kraft's going to fire him because of one bad season. And that's what this is, by the way. This is one bad season. You cannot look at me in the face and say that last season was bad. They won eight games. Now, is it... You know, eight games is not terrible. Eight games is mediocre. You know, they won seven games, ten games, and eight games post-Brady. Now, that's not bad. It's mediocre, and there's a big difference there. This is the first season that I think that the bottom has fallen out. And this is the first year that this team is, you know, bad, that the record shows that they're 2-8. and eight. I also think that, you know, Kraft is smart enough to realize that this is a team that's losing a lot of close games. And it's not necessarily a team that's losing every game 30-10 to 10 and getting blown out. I think he can see that, okay, we're in a lot of these games. How do we fix that? And I think firing the coach is not the, it like doesn't, again, doesn't solve anything. You know, that doesn't make you better in late game situations, I don't think. I don't think it really changes anything. You know, I think that, I think that there should be a confidence level in, in Bill, that he can be someone that can turn this around. You know, I think, again, I just think firing him during this season wouldn't necessarily be fair because I think this is the first season that they've actually been bad. And every other year, they've either been very good, decent, or, you know, at the very worst, mediocre. This is the first year that they're bad. And I think it just kind of wouldn't be right, I don't think. But again, I think if Bill Belichick decides that, you know, I'm not the right person to turn this team around, and he decides to, you know, step away, I think that that's a scenario that is is totally fine with me. I think I just have a problem with Kraft firing him just simply because the record is 2-8. and eight. You know, I think in context, when you look at this team, they could easily be a couple more wins better. And I think just the last little thought I had is, any people that are saying that, oh, Bill's terrible, should be fired, bad roster, and whatnot. If the roster's so bad, why are they losing all these one-possession games? If the roster's so bad, shouldn't they be getting blown out every game? You know, it's kind of just something that has never really made sense to me that, you know, worst roster in the league, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's like... <laughs> Clearly, the roster's not that bad if they're in all these close games. You know, is it is the roster great? No, I wouldn't say that. You know, I think that 
clearly there is, I think at certain spots, a, a lack of like high-end talent, so to speak. But I just think if Belichick deserves the right to try to turn this team around. And, you know, look, if there's a conversation and a thought that maybe they need to bring in someone else to, you know, assist with that roster building and, you know, bring in a, a general manager to help take some things off Bill's plate, I think, like, that's a conversation that, you know, could be had and, you know, something that feasibly could be done. But I also think this is a team that, at this point, has gotten hurt by some really big, some key injuries. And I think, you know, coming back next season, hopefully you have all these guys back. You know, Christian Gonzalez will be back and will be very good. I think that there's a high probability that Kendrick Bourne will be back. You know, I think that Judon is back. Kind of curious to see if the Patriots do decide to bring him back. But I think that, you know, then you look at all the cap space. You look at all these potential, you know, players that they could possibly bring in. You look at, you know, whatever draft pick they end up with. You know, if it's a good one, do they end up with a really good prospect like Gonzalez? You know, do they add that person to whatever the the cupboard is, I guess, with assets and draft picks and whatnot? But, you know, I just think... At the end of the day, I think that Bill Belichick has earned the right to go out on his own terms. And I just think at the end of the day, it wouldn't be fair if Kraft decides to fire him because of one bad season. But, you know, that's just kind of my thought. You know, I think also firing a coach at this point, I just think, like, I don't know where the team would go from there. You know, I think that as bad as this team's record is, I think that this team is a team that needs guidance and needs guidance when going through a tough season. And I think firing a coach doesn't give you the type of guidance that you need. Again, I don't think it solves anything. You know, it doesn't... Again, like, I think it's just appeasing the media, appeasing certain fans, there's no real constructive reason to get rid of him. There really isn't. So I think, you know, going forward, as I said, it's development of some of these guys. You know, it'll be interesting to see, does Zappi get some starts? Does Will Greer get some starts? I mean, maybe Malik Cunningham, I'm just not confident about his ability to I don't want to say run the offense, but I just think like, you know, there's a difference between giving him a regular season game, giving him like a preseason game against backups. You know, I, I just kind of don't know about whether he gets any, any time at quarterback because I think for the most part, you know, Zappi and Greer have been practicing as those quarterbacks. You know, Cunningham is... I don't think is practiced as much with the quarterbacks. And so I don't think it makes sense to, 
you know, give him a game that he might not be best best prepared for. Now, does that change later on in the season? Perhaps, you know, does the team think, okay, you know, give Zappi a couple starts, see what he can do. You know, give Will Greer a couple starts, see what he can do. Then do they give Malik a game at the end of the year? Maybe, but it's like, I think mid-season when he has, you know, practiced as a receiver and, you know, a scout team quarterback, it'd be kind of hard to just throw him in for a game and see like, okay, see what you can do with a limited game plan. You know, maybe that's something that they do. I just don't think right now it's necessarily the best thing to do. Um, so Patriots are obviously off this week. They will travel to the Meadowlands to play the Giants a couple days after Thanksgiving, 1 p.m. start there. So looking at the Giants, who I don't think are a very good team, I actually think they're worse than the Patriots, just based on what I've seen this season. It's definitely a game the Patriots could win. You know, the Giants really don't have anyone that scares you. So, you know, I think that, sure, could you expect another similar game to, you know, the Washington game? I think you could. Um, but I think going forward, it's going to be hard to kind of predict what this team can do. I think especially if they're going into this you know, development mode where they're not necessarily concerned with wins. It's going to be pretty hard to predict, you know, what they can do. I mean, I think against the Giants, they'll have a chance. Against some of the other teams that they might play the rest of the year, you know, Denver, the Chargers perhaps, you know, maybe the Jets. But I think beyond that, it's kind of going to be hard to predict oh, okay, this is how the game's going to go. So, you know, that's just kind of my take on the whole state of the team. Um, and I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens after the bye week. How does this team approach uh, the next couple games of the season? So I think that's going to do it for the Patriots. Um, one thing I will say I was pleased with the running game yesterday. I think that the Patriots did do a good job of establishing the run, sticking with it. I thought Zeke Elliott had a pretty good game. Ramondre was good again. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping that they can go back to being a kind of pound-the-rock team, that they can run the ball a lot and run it effectively um, and not have the quarterback feel like they have to do too much. Um, so I was pleased with that yesterday. So I think moving on, going to get to the Celtics. A couple of games, quite a few games this week for the Celtics, who are very busy, I think, through the, through the beginning part of the month in December. Celtics had four games last week, losing two, winning two. I think losing a couple games in close game situations, you know, it's not... It's not great. You know, I think that this is a team that I think you're hoping can, you know, figure out how to perform in those kind of clutch situations. Um, you know, I think that obviously when things don't work out, it's easier to question, you know, whether they're doing the right thing or not. You know, I think that 
Philadelphia, the Philadelphia game, to be honest, didn't feel like a game that they like gave away. This is actually a game that the Sixers almost gave away. You know, they go up 15 points with three minutes left. Celtics get all the way back, actually get a chance to tie the game. Porzingis misses a three. But it's like, that's not a game where, you know, I'm like upset that, oh, the Celtics blew a 10-point lead with three and a half minutes ago. Like, they were coming back, and it's like, it's hard to be super upset about a game like that. You know, it did seem like the focus and intensity was kind of off in this game. Um, and I think it was maybe a little bit concerning following the loss in Minnesota where the Celtics, I don't know if gave the game away, feels like the right thing to say, but I think having a chance to win, Jalen Brown misses the three. And then Anthony, Anthony Edwards just takes over in overtime. And I think, you know, this was a game where it's like, you're seeing the the growth of another superstar in this game in Anthony Edwards. And I think that's kind of what you saw last week where, okay, the Celtics were in a close game. They were, you know, battling all night. And that's a Minnesota team that I don't think is all that bad. I actually think that they're a decent team, play good defense, you know, and I think as soon as they embrace Anthony Edwards as kind of the number one face of the franchise kind of guy and, you know, take care of the other parts of the roster, I think they're going to be a really good team. I think it's kind of an awkward fit with him and Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. And Gobert actually didn't play too badly in this game. But I think they're a good team, and it's a hard team to play against on the road. They're a good defensive team. They always have been. And I think, you know, it's it's a loss. Like at the, at the end of the day, this team is going to lose games. As much as we think, oh, this is a team that shouldn't lose any game, it's like they're going to lose some games. They're also going to lose games to bad teams. It just is going to happen. I mean, I think, does this team have the potential still to win 60 games? Absolutely. But it's like they're still going to lose games, and it's kind of like it's hard to get too upset at losses early in the season, you know, unless it's a big lead that they lose or something like that. Then it's like, okay, you know, you want to win games that you should win. I don't think either of those games felt like that last week where they kind of blew an opportunity. Did they have a chance to win? Sure. Jalen Brown missed that three right before the buzzer, but... You know, games like that are going to happen. Um, Celtics, I think, did do a good job of bouncing back this weekend uh, with the back-to-back at home win on Friday in the in-season tournament with the uh, weirdest and ugliest basketball court I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I think I just don't understand why the court has to be that much different. You know, yes... You want the players and the fans to understand that it's uh, like a tournament game. But it's like, you don't have to do something that crazy. You don't have to make the court green. You know, I was thinking like, all they really have to do is, you know, put the trophy in the center court. You know, like they used to with the NBA Finals. If people, were, people remember that, you know, they put... 
you know, had the logo, but then had the, you know, championship trophy around it. And it's like, you can just do that. There's no need to make the court a different color. There's no reason to... <laughs> There's no reason to go over the top. Uh, but either way, the Celtics came out with a win in that game against the Nets and then beat the Raptors Saturday night. Both really good games for Jalen Brown, who I think continues to, and continues to show that, okay, he, you know, has had some games where he's not been as good. You know, I think in the Philadelphia game, had like a very, very small amount of points. Like just click on the box score, I just clicked on something else. So in this game, he had 11 points, which I think was like the opener against the Knicks, but it's like comes right back, you know, bounces back with 29 points Saturday, 28 points on Friday. And I think you're going to see the bounce back games from him, I think. With all the talent that the Celtics have in their top their top five, you know, I exclude Horford because he's a guy that doesn't need it. A lot of shots. I think you have five guys that are capable of taking a lot of shots. And I think that some nights the distribution is going to be off because there are some guys that, you know, have it and look like they're on fire and you want to give those guys a shot. You know, you want to feed the guy who's hot. That was Porzingis Wednesday night. There were some people I think that were upset with the lack of shots that Jason Tatum was getting, but it's like, with all this talent, every single game is not going to be a perfect shot distribution. There are going to be some games where it looks really good. But I think with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Porzingis in particular, you know, those three guys are going to have a lot of high shot volume. And I think that some nights it'll be Jason Tatum, some nights it'll be Porzingis, some nights it'll be Jalen Brown. But I think them getting used to playing with each other, you know, what different guys like, what different guys don't like, you know, I think it's all part of a learning process that, you know, I talked with uh, Derek Welch about this before, like at the beginning of the season, that, you know, they're still, they're going to be going through, you know, growth. These guys are, are still learning how to play with each other. And it may not even be, may not, it may take a while for it to be, you know, good and consistent. And it's like, it doesn't need to be perfect, but it's like, this is a team that's 7-2, and two, you know, at the end of the day. It's not a time for, me personally, I don't think it's time to be concerned about who is getting the amount of shots and whatnot. I think it would be different if the team was three and six, you know, had a lot of losses, were struggling to figure out how to play together. I think that there are flashes that this team is, you know, close to where it's where it needs to be, but it's like you're probably not going to know until later in the season and these guys get more comfortable with each other. So, I think that, you know, starting five, in my opinion, you know what you're going to get at this point. 
you know, they're still working through some things, but I think really the key for this team, and I mentioned this last week, that with this stretch of a lot of games, the Celtics are really busy. The bench is going to need to come up big, and I think Friday and Saturday, and I think Wednesday to a lesser extent, some of the bench pieces have started to come on and be a little bit more consistent. I think Luke Cornett is starting to play pretty well. I think Peyton Pritchard, shots are starting to go in. Sam Hauser, same thing. And I think, you know, for those three, I think Pritchard and Hauser in particular, those are the bench guys that are going to be getting in every single night. I think that there might be some games where Cornette plays more, uh, O'Shea Brissett, Lamar Stevens, you know, High Luke, I think, also could play a little bit as well. You know, I think that those other guys are kind of just like, it might be one of those guys a different night. But I think Pritchard and Hauser, those are the guys that you want them to be consistent every single night. And I think they've been kind of turning a corner. I think with Peyton, it's sometimes hard for him to affect the game if he's not shooting well. But I think that he's been trying to do some of the little things. And I think some of the little things, offensive rebounding. He's really good at, I think, reading shots that come off the rim. And so he's been able to get some good rebound numbers. And I think continuing to, you know, try to be that ball distributor, be that guy that can be a quick source of offense. And I think more so with Hauser, it's just, you know, knocking down the shots. I mean, I can't remember if it was Friday or Saturday, but there were some shots that he was knocking down that were not even hitting the rim. They were just going swish right through the basket. And I think for him to build confidence is is huge. And I think if that's consistent, you know, this is a Celtics team that is going to be really, really hard to stop. You know, if Hauser can be consistently knocking down a couple threes each night, he's not going to be scoring 15 points every single game. But if he's averaging close to 10, I think that there's reason to believe that this bench, you know, could end up being an asset. I do think that maybe they need one more body. Be interesting to see if they try to bring someone in during the season. But I really like what I've seen over the last couple of games. Now, Again, this is a Celtics team that is going to be very busy this week again. You know, you got a home game tonight against the Knicks, 7.30 start. Then you go on the road, play four in a row. Three of them this week in Philly on Wednesday, in Toronto on Friday, and then in Memphis Sunday night against uh, old friend Marcus Smart. So that will be interesting to see how the Celtics do. Um, so yeah, four-game road trip coming up for this team. Don't worry, they have a lot of home games coming up, so we'll be out on the road for too long. So curious to see tonight, curious to see Wednesday night rematch against Philly. That will be very interesting. And uh, yeah, see if the Celtics can get some uh, revenge on the Sixers there. Um, so course Celtics team seven and two you know other than Keita being 
being out for a couple games, no, no serious injuries for this team, knock on wood. Um, you know, I think it was interesting. Al Horford had missed a game earlier in the week. I think actually it was Friday, but then he played Saturday. So, you know, something to just keep your eye on with him, you know, probably not playing back-to-backs. You know, I think on nights where he doesn't play, you know, Cornette's getting more minutes. You might see Brissett play, might see Lamar Stevens, but I think it's a pretty good, pretty good rotation the Celtics have at this point. So, again, Celtics Knicks tonight, 7.30 at the Garden. Celtics go for their eighth win, eighth win of the season as they play their 10th game of the season. So we're going to move on talk a little bit about the Bruins They're coming off a loss to Montreal in overtime Saturday night that was uh, quite the game that was quite the game to watch that was uh, obviously disappointing that they lost but geez anytime you have a high intensity Bruins Canadians game it is a lot of fun I mean that was the first game this season that I could find myself actively yelling at the TV um, and it's like when you're yelling at the TV, you know, it's a Bruins-Canadians game. So, uh, great theater, great sports theater, as some people might say, um, in this game. Bruins losing overtime. It was a frustrating loss. Bruins, you know, take a lead one nothing early in the game. First minute, Pavel Zaka with a tip-in. Canadians score two goals at the beginning of the third. Bruins then tie it, or, well, appeared to tie it until a goal was taken off the board for goalie interference. Not a call that I necessarily agreed with, but then the Bruins tie it, Marchand power play goal, and then go to overtime, lose it. It was just, yeah, frustrating game to lose. But, you know, I think this is a team that suffering, what, their second loss of the season? You know, um, it's okay. You know, it's okay for this team to lose games. At this point, you know, I think it's much like last season. It's, you know, it's, I don't want to say that like losing doesn't matter, but it almost feels like, it almost feels like that when the team is, you know, 11, one and one going into a game. And it's like, you obviously want them to compete and play well and try to win, but it's like not the end of the world if they lose. So, you know, that's kind of what it felt like Saturday, but. I thought the Bruins had a couple of really good wins earlier this week. I thought that the Dallas game, the Bruins did a really good job of competing. You know, a road game, a tough game against a good team. And I think, you know, great for great for two of the youngsters to get on the board, uh, both Lowry and... Johnny Beecher with their first career goals, which was great to see. Beecher's a guy that I think has been working really, really hard this season. Hasn't I think it's played in every single game. Has been excellent at the faceoff dot. Has been really good in killing penalties. Really looks like someone who is, you know, very comfortable with his game. Doesn't try to doesn't try to do things that are outside his skill set, really kind of sticks to 
what he's good at. And it was just awesome to see him on his first goal in Dallas, you know, take that initiative to, you know, not be passive, see a lane to get to the net and fire a shot. And I think just to see him take that initiative, not be timid, is exactly why he's with the Bruins. You know, exactly why he made the team at a training camp and why he's sticking with this team, because I think that he's taking the initiative, you know, being aggressive. And I think same thing for Laura and his goal, taking the initiative, you know, not being timid, timid, you know, taking that pass from Heinen, ripping a shot, not even thinking about it. You know, sure, he's had some bumps and bruises in some of these games, but I think that having him make, make mistakes at this level is fine. You know, I do think that at some point he does get sent down because I think it's good for his development to be in Providence, play in all sorts of situations. You know, it kind of feels like it's a necessity that he's playing here in Boston, you know, with the injury to Grizzlick, but I think it's not a bad thing to have him sent down to Providence when Grizzly comes back because I think you want him to be playing as many minutes as possible, whether that's in Boston, whether that's in Providence. And I think it's not a thing that's bad for his, de his development to be sent down because I think you're seeing a kid that has great confidence in his ability, you know, won't see that as a demotion and hopefully he can continue to work on his game. Um, so it was good to see both of them get on the score sheet in that game. Thursday night was another really good win for this team. Charlie Coyle getting his first career hat trick, which was great to see. I thought that he played a really good game. He's been really solid recently. And I think after maybe kind of having a slow start in the point department has really started to pick it up recently, which is good to see. Um, I think that he's a player that, you know, I think due to the amount of money he makes, he can be a polarizing player to certain people, but I think he's always in the right place at the right time. You know, he's rarely out of place. He's always doing the right thing. And I think seeing someone like that is you know, good for some of these younger guys that can see Charlie, who's the consummate professional, I think does, does everything right, plays the game the right way. And I think is a perfect type of, you know, leader that the Bruins can look at. And I think that again, with the void of Krejci and Bergeron being, being gone, someone like Charlie Coyle's, you know, been here for a couple of years and I think has really started to grow into a leadership role in terms of, you know, his production on the ice, but I think also in the room. And this is a team that I think for the longest time has always had good, solid leadership, no matter who's in there. And I think, you know, obviously it's different this year without Bergeron, without Krejci, but I think, you know, it's something maybe Brad Marchand said before, said before the season, you know, we're all going to be pitching in for you know, making up, kind of filling that leadership void. Um, and I think that Charlie is a prime example of 
being someone who is a leader and someone that you can get behind, kind of get on his back. And so I think him getting that hat trick, you know, just is a, is a, you know, reward for his great performance. And I think, you know, I talk about leadership. I talk about the leadership culture here. Nothing was more evident of, you know, Charlie Coyle getting the puck out of the zone with the empty net for the Islanders, you know, gets it up to Pasternak and Pasternak gets it back to him. You know, I think that Pasternak could have easily taken it to the goal and gotten a goal for himself, but he wanted to get it back to Charlie to reward him for his hard work. And I think that you've seen that a couple times with this team that, you know, someone has a chance at an empty net goal, but they give it up. They sacrifice for their teammate. And I think it's always something I've appreciated for this with this team for the longest period of time that leadership is never a question. Leadership is never anything that you have to be concerned about with this team because they're always going to do the right thing and sacrifice for each other. So just always pleased to be a fan of this team when they, you know, do things like that, play the game the right way and, you know, do the best they can for each other. So that was great to see Thursday night. So Bruins back at it tomorrow night in Buffalo. Bruins and Sabres. Bruins and Sabres first matchup of the season in Buffalo. 7 o'clock start. Bruins will get a look at Connor Clifton in his Buffalo thread. So that sure will be interesting. Probably weird for some of those guys to go against him in a game when they've practiced against him for so many years. So It'd be interesting to see, good to see for the Bruins that Jacob Lauko returned to the ice, played in Saturday night game Saturday Saturday night's game against the Canadiens after the after taking the skate blade too close to the eye. It was a pretty nasty gash. I I I, I think like I would tell you to take a look at it, but if you're squeamish, you probably shouldn't look at it, so uh, but anyway, good to see him back on the ice. Uh, Morgan Geeky, unfortunately, being put on long-term. Or no, I think it was just regular injured reserve. So he'll be out for a few more games. Derek Forbert returned to the lineup. They could see Milan Lucic back soon. Matt Grizzlick, I think you may not see until the end of the month. So again, big opportunity for uh, Mason Lowry to... You know, show what you can do. Show what he can do. So Bruins in Buffalo tonight, and then they will return home Saturday against the Canadiens for a rematch. So that will be exciting. Then the Bruins are busy over the next week or so. So Buffalo tonight, 7 o'clock start. Montreal Saturday, 7 o'clock start. Those are the two games the Bruins have this week. So we're going to move on. Quickly just wrap up the Revolution, who lost uh, last week in Game 2 of this first-round series with Philadelphia, losing one nothing. Uh, just a disappointing end to the season for this team that I think, you know, at points looked like a team that was going to 
seriously challenge for, you know, an MLS Cup. But I think, unfortunately, all the, the coaching turmoil um, just proved to be too much. It's, you know, disappointing because I think that I had big hopes for this team, but I think not a great matchup against Philadelphia, a team that's really, really good. And, you know, I think with this team, you know, just kind of we're out of sorts, really, after the coaching change, which it's not too much of a surprise to, it's not really too much of a surprise necessarily, but, you know, it's just disappointing that the season came to an end like it did. The Revs really not doing much in the postseason and you know, going into an off season that I think could be could be difficult because they think that, you know, I'm not sure what the coaching staff is going to look like. I'm not sure what the personnel is going to look like. You know, I think Gustavo Bo is a player that is a free agent, unsure about what his future is. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, hopefully Brandon by Dylan Barrero return for this team after they suffered season-ending injuries at certain points in the season. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they come back. Carlos Hill, I think he has one more year in his deal. Um, but I think, I think just disappointing that the way this season ended. I think it just it stinks because, you know, I think for me and, you know, John Veneziano and some of our friends who, you know, went to that Revolution game in July, we were really, you know, high on this team and really thinking that they could, you know, make some noise in the playoffs. But obviously things happen and, you know, that's kind of where it stands now. So Revs will go into the off season. You know, new season probably starts beginning of March. So you probably may not hear me talk too much about the Revs. You know, unless there's some off-season decisions that they make that are worth, you know, mentioning. So, I'm going to get to some Red Sox quickly. Uh, just take a look at some of the free agent starting pitchers that are available. I think Craig Breslow has made it clear that the Red Sox are going to be on the lookout for a couple of, you know, top-end starters. You know, I think I was thinking about this yesterday for the Red Sox rotation really needs to be consistent for starters getting into the sixth inning, seventh inning. You know, I think I'm, you know, fairly bullish on this team because I think you have some pieces offensively with Devers, Yoshida, you know, some of the younger guys that you have. But it's really about that rotation. And if you make the right decisions, I think this is logically a team that could get to the playoffs next season. So looking at some possible starters, you know, I know everyone's everyone's going to say Otani, you know, he probably won't be pitching next season uh, with the surgery, but, or with the, the, the torn UCL. Um, I think that, yes, would he be a player that the Red Sox should try to target? Absolutely. But I think, Focusing more on pitching, you know, is kind of more what I'm looking at. So, obviously, Yamamoto, the highly regarded pitcher from Japan, is a possibility. 
for the Red Sox. You know, I think someone that most people believe he can be at number one or number two in a big league rotation. So I think he's probably the biggest name on the pitching, you know, market in terms of like overseas. I think in terms of guys that are, you know, pitching in, in, the major, in Major League Baseball that you would recognize, you know, Blake Snell, a possibility, good chance that he wins the Cy Young Award this season. Um, so I think he would be a decent fit. Aaron Nola, who I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, a little bit on the older side, but I think could be someone that um, could be consistent and durable for this rotation because I think the Red Sox really need those types of guys. Um, Sonny Gray, also a possibility, again, kind of on the older side as, as he's entering his age 34 season. You know, I think he would be a guy that the Red Sox bring in in addition to another top-end guy. You know, he wouldn't be the only guy you bring in. You know, and I think hopefully the Red Sox are looking at bringing in multiple guys. Jordan Montgomery, I think, is also in kind of the same line of thinking as Sonny Gray in terms of he would might maybe be that second guy that you bring in. Um, so currently looking at the MLB free agent rankings on MLB.com. Eduardo Rodriguez could be a possibility as well. Obviously, Red Sox know him pretty well. And so I think, you know, if those are just some names the Red Sox could look at, you know, looking forward to talking more baseball with Eric Bellier later this week so we can get into more of that. So I think we're going to move on, get to some league notes. Take, or we'll start with the NFL. Um, I think we'll get to some scores. A couple notes here. The Steelers linebacker, Quan Alexander, suffered a torn Achilles, so likely he's done for the season. An NFL record five games ended on uh, ended on field goals as, as time expired. So some close games this week. Um, so yeah, we're going to get to the scores from this week. Thursday night, the Bears outlasting the Panthers. 16-13, to getting their third win of the season. Panthers dropped to 1-8, Panthers 3-7. and The Texans with a huge comeback win as CJ Stroud leads the comeback. Titans over or Texans, excuse me, over five hundred at five and four. Bengals drop to five and four with the loss. It's another late game comeback win for the Texans. The Vikings hold off the Saints. 27-19, the final score. Vikings are six and four, Saints five and five. <clears throat> and another win for Josh Dobbs, who's kind of been the one of the stories of the season is he's bounced around to a couple different teams and keeps winning games. The Vikings get the win. The Steelers beat the Packers 23-19. to Steelers are 6-3. Packers fall to 3-6. Huge day 
for Mike Evans and the Buccaneers as they win to improve to four and five. Titans fall to three and six, 20 to six, the final score here. Mike Evans, 143 yards and a touchdown. The 49ers finally getting back on track after losing three in a row. They dominate the Jags, 34 to three. Brock Purdy, three touchdown passes in the win. Both teams are at six and three. The Browns with a huge fourth quarter comeback to beat the Ravens 33-31 the final. Browns improved to 6-3. Ravens fall to 7-3. The Cardinals, Kyler Murray returning, setting up the winning field goal. Cardinals win 25-23 the final score. The Cardinals get their second win of the season. The Lions with a game-winning field goal to beat the Chargers yesterday. They improved to 7-2. Chargers fall to 4-5, 41-38 the final score. The Cowboys dominating the Giants 49-17 to, to yesterday. Dak Prescott, four touchdown passes. Cowboys improve to 6-3. And, and the Seahawks getting a game-winning field goal from Jason Myers to beat the Commanders. 29-26, Geno Smith. 369 yards and two touchdowns in the win. Seahawks improve to 6-3. and three. And Then the Raiders get back to 500 on Sunday night football with a 16-12 win over, over the Jets. So I'll take a quick look at some notes from some of the other leagues. The Houston Astros promoting their bench coach to manager. Joe Espada will be the new manager for the Astros. After Dusty Baker announced his retirement, uh, Stephen Vogt has landed the job uh, in Cleveland. So he will be the new manager after Terry Francona stepped away and retired. Ron Washington will manage the LA Angels this season. Corey Seager, Mark, uh, Marcus Simeon, both hauling. They're both awarded the Silver Slugger. So big seasons for them as they obviously helped the Rangers win first World Series in team history. Um, so we're going to take a look at some NBA notes now. Mike Michael Malone uh, just recently agreed to a new contract ex extension to coach the Nuggets. Tyrese Maxey with 50 points yesterday, dedicating the win to Kelly Oubre, who was uh, recently struck by a vehicle, does appear to be in stable condition, broke his rib. So uh, obviously well wishes to, to Kelly Oubre. So... Um, See, I'll take a look at some of the games tonight. Celtics Knicks, obviously at 7:30. Wizards and Raptors also at 7:30. Bulls and Bucks at 8 o'clock. And then 10 o'clock on NBA TV, the Cavaliers and the Kings. So we'll take a quick look at some NHL notes. Rest in peace to former Flyers and Kings goalie 
Roman Czechmanic, who passed away over the weekend. The Oilers um, bringing in a new coach. They fired Jay Woodcroft over the weekend. Oilers having a really tough start to the season as the Oilers hire Connor McDavid's former juniors coach. We'll see if that changes for them. Connor Bedard with a four-point game over the weekend became the third youngest player to achieve that. And the Pittsburgh Penguins are retiring Yarmir Yager's number 68 on February 18th later, or next year, I should say. Uh, so two games on the schedule tonight, the Islanders and the pre the previously mentioned Oilers will go at it at 8.30, and then the Avalanche and the Kraken will play at 10 o'clock. So I think that's going to do it for me this week. One more note, we're going to give you a little blast from the past year. Uh, we'll do uh, this day in Boston sports history. <laughs> Actually, honestly, forgot to do it last week. But we're here now. Sorry about that. Okay, I don't know why this is giving me problems. But, okay, now we got the fix. So, this day in Boston sports history, November 13th, November 13th, 2007, Celtics and the Pacers... Uh, Celtics, obviously from the championship season of 2007-2008. Celtics beat the Pacers 101-86, the final score. You look at the box score here, kind of fun to take a look at. Paul Pierce, 31 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists, a couple steals and a block shot. Sorry for the dog barking in the background. Um, Kevin Garnett, 18 points and 11 rebounds. And Brian Scalabrini, 9 points off the bench in this game. Had a couple threes. Leading scorer for the Pacers, Danny Granger. So just always fun to look at some old box scores. So I uh, like to do that every once in a while. Uh, I know we've done a couple. We've done a Red Sox, Patriots, Bruins game. Wanted to give you guys a Celtics game. And sure enough, they played on this date during the championship season. So good to know. So I think, again, I think, that'll, yeah, that'll do it for me this week. Be on the lookout for Guest Friday later this week. Eric Bellier hopefully coming back on. Sorry about last week. Just again, had some uh, scheduling stuff come up, but we should be good to go this week. So look, look out for that later this week, and uh, we'll talk to you then.